Warning, the following podcast contains adult language and may contain adult themes. You've been warned. Hello listeners, once again, welcome to another episode of The Ambience, I'm your host Jay, and today on The Ambience we're going to be wrapping up this little mini-series that I've created about my time in Vegas. This is going to be episode 3, thank you for listening and stay tuned. Welcome once again to another episode of The Ambience. I'm your host, Jay. And as I said in the intro, today we're going to be wrapping up this little mini-series that I created about my time in Vegas. This is going to be part three, and it's going to be the third and final installment of the little mini-series. This episode is just going to be about the last day that we spent in Vegas, and it's going to also contain a little bit about the plane ride home. Anybody that really knows me in person knows that I'm an early riser. Even if even if I was extremely tired the day before, like I will still for some odd reason I will wake up at four or five thirty in the morning. That's just that's just how I am. And today in Vegas was no different. Obviously in Vegas it's on the other side of the country and there's a there's a vast time difference. There's maybe about four hours of difference, like like um like eight PM over there is four PM over where we were. And so naturally, due to the fact that I work the schedule that I do, my body is used to the sleep cycle that it is currently used to. That being said, I was ready to pass out and fall asleep over there when it was only about 4 o'clock. Speaking of waking up early, I woke up uh, I woke up and the sky was still dark, thank God. And I just, I love that so much because you're up early and you get a chance to wake up. Nobody's up yet. Nobody's up and about. And it's just you and the ambience of the night sky on the outside. I just, I love that so very much. It's made even better by coffee. I mean, I didn't have coffee, but oh well. So anyway, on this particular day, I woke up at, it was about 4.30, maybe 4.45, and then I got up, and the first thing I do, which is what a lot of people do nowadays, they check their phones the same way that the older generation used to check the newspaper back when that was still a thing. And the first thing that I do when I get up out of bed, I take my phone, and I go over to this balcony door, this balcony glass door that we had in the room, and I open up one of the curtains. It's still nice and dark outside, and while it's dark outside, in the sky, I look down at the city lights that are just below us. I mean, we're only halfway up inside the Mandela Bay Hotel, but I was looking out and just all those lights were really beautiful. And so what did I do? I decided to take my phone and take video. I mean, I just, I love, I just, I love the ambience and the atmosphere of the entire place. And I just, I love waking up early like now, especially because like, obviously my wife and I always sleep in the same bed, but also She's just, she's so beautiful to me in every sense of the word, and she is more, like, she is so beautiful to me. No matter what she's doing, she could be sleeping, she could be having a bad day, she could be just fresh out of the shower. I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't care what situation she's in, she's always beautiful. So anyway, yeah, I'm going to sound like a stalker for saying this, but in my defense, when we had our honeymoon years ago, she would take photos of me when I was asleep because apparently when I'm completely passed out and completely not in control of my body or what I'm doing, I, according to her, I look really cute. So I'm up early and I just, I make sure that she's okay. I do the usual husband thing, you know, just taking care of the wife, just making sure things are all right. And then I go and I use the restroom early in the morning. I do my business, whatnot. 
Then I decided that I wanted to kind of surprise her with a little bit of breakfast in bed. Now, obviously, I didn't cook inside the room, and we didn't dare ask for room service because we were already paying. Even though that the trip was paid for by her company, we were already experiencing the exorbitant pricing that was there. But I remembered seeing, I remembered seeing this vending machine as we got up to our, uh, as we got up to the thirtieth floor to find our room. I remember that uh, there were three hallways, and in this one hallway. There was this vending machine, and while it was exorbitant in price, I wanted to do something nice for her, and I wanted to get us some drinks. And so I take my wallet, and I take the hotel key, and I make sure to lock the door behind me. And I'm walking down the hallway, and then after a little bit of confusion, I do finally manage to find the hallway with said vending machine. And then I get to looking, and it looks like there's an error on the card reader. Okay, no problem. But then I remembered seeing on the card reader there was a little like post-it note attached to it it said error cash only i'm thinking okay whatever and then i get to thinking about my phone and that's when i realize that i don't have my phone with me but i didn't want to walk all the way back and risk waking her up because i like her getting as much sleep as she can get like the vast difference between she and i like one of the biggest differences is the fact uh, it's uh, it's how we sleep it takes her a little longer to get to sleep but she sleeps deeper, whereas I can just pass out pretty much no problem. And she uh, she has to get up frequently during the night to use the restroom, and well, that can disrupt someone's sleep cycle. And it's a bummer for her, so what I like to do naturally is just help her get as much sleep as she can, uh, whether that's giving her a massage, whether that's helping her with some lavender-scented oils and whatnot to help her kind of just chill and relax and pass out. So anyway, I'm at this machine, and I see that the card reader doesn't work, and that there's an error on it, and I don't have my phone. Now, everybody travels with their phone nowadays. It's become like an extension of their body. It's their window to the world. And I thought, you know what? I have my wallet, but I don't have my phone. I'll just be in and out real quick. And so what I decided to do is, I decided to take, I decided to take myself with my wallet and my hotel key. And I decided to go down to the lobby next to where the casinos are. Now, it's really early in the morning, and so being in a casino at that time, it's great because there's no one there. Now, I know that I said that I went to Vegas with the strict mentality of do not gamble one bit, and if you've been following the podcast so far, so far if you've been listening to the last two episodes, you know that I only gambled one dollar. And even then, I really didn't even gamble it per se as much as I spent it because I wanted the experience. I didn't necessarily care about winning because I knew that I wasn't going to win. Casinos are not designed so that the people can win. Casinos are designed to rake in money for the house. Studies have been done and it's actually been proven. Like the color red is very popular in casinos. The color red uh, mentally is associated with power and passion. And then there's all these flashing lights and there's all this music playing. So what does that do? What do you want to do when you go into a casino? The first thing you want to do is spend, spend, spend. And so I'd like to believe that in seeing the documentary that I did see, which currently, for some odd reason, I can't remember the name of, I'd like to believe that since I watched it, I came mentally prepared for the casino. And it's actually a good thing that I also went there early because there's no staff to kind of bug you and try to swindle you into buying casino credit and getting you in debt, you know? So anyway, I'm down there, and I decide that if I can't get a drink up there, and if I'm going down here just for just to get drinks for my wife and I, I may as well go all out and buy us some breakfast of some sort. Now, I got to looking around, and it's about maybe, at this point, it's about maybe 5.15, 5.30 in the morning. Nothing's really open. 
And so what I'm doing is I'm walking around and I'm making mental notes as I walk through these casinos because the casinos, they act as pretty much the atrium. They connect to every other part of the hotel. And it's actually an interesting ratio that they had going because for every one casino that they had, I want to say that there was at least 10, maybe 12 restaurants in like these little strips, like just like right around it, you know? Uh, it was a casino, but it also it, it looked like a, a mini version of a, of a mall, of the Valley Hills Mall that I'm used to where I live here in North Carolina. And I remember the night before where I had, um, I remember the night before where I had actually partaken in some alcohol. Like I had this, what, I'm just going to call it a strawberry daiquiri at this point because it was a strawberry slushy drink made with a little bit of Sky Vodka. I mean, it was good. I didn't have a problem with it. Now, I want to believe that it tasted good because of the strawberry, and due to the fact that there was a lot of strawberry in it, I didn't taste the alcohol that much. Now, I've tried different kinds of alcoholic beverages in my life. I've tried two different kinds of wine, but my one of my favorite beverages, uh, as far as just like little like alcoholic drinks goes, I love me some Smirnoff Green Apple Bite. Now, I know some people may listen to this and go, well, you know, that's not even that's not even real compared to the stuff that I drink. And that may be the case for you, but different strokes, different folks. You drink that, and I'll drink this. I, I don't care. And so I had gotten the mentality that all these other kinds of alcohol, except for these little bottles of Smirnoff that I came to love and enjoy, all tasted like piss. And that being said, I was actually surprised with the vodka drink, because like I said, it wasn't even that bad. And... I was just thinking to myself, as I'm walking through this casino, there's this little like alcohol vendor or whatever, and it's like a wall store with a screen out of it, and so there's there's a whole bunch of different stuff. Like they don't even just sell alcohol. They had like two liters everywhere of different kinds of soda. They even had Mountain Lightning, and who drinks Mountain Lightning, you know? But not only that, it doubled as like a snack machine also, and I got to looking uh, particularly in their alcohol section. And I was interested in, like, I just, I like the aspect of bringing home just a bottle with me. And I was curious about the Absolute Vodka. But I got to looking at their prices and I just, I decided, I decided against it because I still have in my refrigerator, I still have a bottle of mead, uh, of honey flavored mead that I, uh, I take a shot of every year just in celebration of one of my friends. Like, he doesn't celebrate Christmas the way my wife and I do, but he celebrates a tradition known to him as Yule and known to a lot of people as Yule. And what he does is every year he gets 12 gifts for people. And the first time that he actually clued me in on this celebration, what, what he did was he got me this bottle of honeymead. And so even though he's pagan, even though like, I don't have a problem with it, you do you, I do me, we don't do each other. That's actually a quote by him. Even though he doesn't celebrate Christmas, I still believe that he's one of the smartest men I've ever met. And he's currently, he's the best friend that anybody could really ever have. I mean, I just, I wish, honestly, that I had met him a lot sooner because there, it would answer so many questions that I would have later in life. But due to the importance that I place uh, in my friendship with him and just in him in general as a human being, I will gladly every year as I do every year, what I'll do is I'll take a shot glass and I'll make sure it's clean and I'll take the meat out of the fridge and then I'll just pour a glass and then I'll kind of just, uh, I'll kind of just raise a toast to him. You know, I'll do, I'll do like the stereotypical thing of saying, okay, I raised this glass of meat in your honor and I wish your family well. I wish you good health. I wish you good luck, good tidings, good cheer. 
down the hatch. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but, like, what I did was, I mean, he was honored to have it because he believes that he's not really all that special of a person. I mean, which is fine with me because, again, you do you, I do me, we don't do each other. I mean, I, <laughs> you can believe whatever you want to believe. Take the blue pill. I don't care. It was actually really interesting. I, um, like, I try not to do it until he exchanged gifts between myself and him. Like, due to the fact that he doesn't celebrate Christmas, my wife and I, we still got presents for him. And so what I did was I went over to his house with his gift, and uh, he knows that I'm into anime, and I'm into manga, and I'm into that whole little, that whole world. And so the exchange went like this. I went over to his house, and I took the gift, which, honestly, my wife and I started Christmas shopping back in February. And so, naturally, we forgot what it was that we did get him. <laughs> So for the longest time, it was actually just in our storage room, wrapped up in a kitty, uh, a kitty cat wrapping paper. We're cat people. So anyway, I take the gift over to his house, not remembering what was inside the gift. But he comes out, and it had been a good long while since I had seen him without a hat, because typically he wears a toboggan now. I mean, I'm cool with that. Now he and I used to work at McDonald's together, and he um, he couldn't let his hair grow. But when he took his hat off, my God. I thought it looked like one of the Jesus disciples. So he and I had a good laugh about that for a good five straight minutes. So anyway, the exchange goes like this. I hand him over the gift, and he hands me these two mangas. And seeing as that exchange has taken place, I go home later that day, and then I take my phone and I go to record. And as I'm recording, I'm just in the mood to record this little ritual that I partake in every year just in his honor. you know. So I record it, and then I send it to him, and he reacts to it with this emoji of the smiley face with heart eyes. So he loves it, and I just hope that he feels honored because, I mean, I know that there is no way in hell that I'll be able to do for him what he's done for me. Like, he's given me sound advice over the years. He's helped me through some really shitty times that I've had. But um, he said that I've actually made his life richer in many ways than I could ever really consider and well i mean it's an honor to hear that from anybody especially in this day and age because the world's full of shitty people what makes it even worse is now we just live in shittier times like the recession that happened years ago that was just the beginning but that's a whole different can of worms that i'm not even gonna attempt to open so anyway i'm looking at all this vodka back in the casino and there's all these different types but i can't tell i mean i've been studying russian for years now but i haven't been looking at alcohol so I don't know if any of this vodka is actually authentic Russian or not. And I don't have my phone on me, so I can't just Google it, click, click, and get the answer. So anyway, I decided to just leave it be, and then I just walk on by. And so I'm looking around at all these beautiful machines, and I'm taking like mental images of my head so that, oddly enough, I can just jot them down in my little notebook and then just talk to them, like talk about them on the podcast. So I'm walking around, I'm walking around, I'm checking out all these different restaurants I see. There's Nathan's Famous that, uh, that I would actually be eating later on that day. There's actually, um, there's this New York pizza place that I saw. There's this Johnny Rocket that I saw. All those places were closed, and so I'm looking around, and I'm taking a little bit of a detour. Now, as I'm taking this detour, I make little landmarks in my head so that I don't get lost. Because for the past couple of days, like, since my wife and I have been in Vegas... The layout of the hotel is actually kind of confusing because you would go on to one casino, but then you would discover that there was actually another casino that looks identical to it, but it's inside of a different part of the hotel. And so that's why it acts as a big maze. So anyway, I get to walk in and I continue in, on my little journey to find breakfast for us. And 
we have a really weird sense of breakfast. It doesn't have to be the traditional, you know, healthy stuff. I mean, you ever hear the phrase, we're here for a good time, not a long time? And I understand that it's important to take care of your body, but at the same time, with how anorexic that I became years ago, I just don't care. Like, I, I have the mentality of if it's unhealthy for your body, then it's healthy for your mind. Because when you diet, what ends up happening to me is, like, I'll be restricting my food all week. But then what happens at the end of the week when I have a cheat day? I mean, I do. I know that this is due to a lack of control and a lack of discipline somewhat on my part. But if you restrict yourself so much, what usually ends up happening is you binge. So what ends up happening is while you're attempting to lose weight, you're just gaining it again just on different days. And I mean, it sucks, but that's what it is. So that being said about the so-called breakfast, I see this Subway. And I was actually kind of surprised because there was one guy just walking around making sure everything was clean. Not something that I'm used to seeing at all when it comes to restaurants. So I decided that, fuck it, I'm tired of looking, I'm tired of searching, and I don't want to get lost. And chances are my wife is waking up at any moment, so I want to get back to the room as quick as I can. And so I buy her a sub, I buy me a sub, and then I buy us each some drinks, and then I pay for it happily. And I make sure to keep the receipt. I make sure to keep the receipt so that she can actually take it back to CarMax uh, for reimbursement. And which, that's, that's actually a really cool thing. I wish that other companies did that too. So anyway, I'm walking back up and I'm making sure to go through all these little landmarks that I made in my head. I'm following directories, I'm following little signs, it's all over the casino and everything. And so I'm walking and I'm walking and I finally make it back to the lobby. And then I get to the elevator part of the lobby. Now this is something that I failed to mention because there was one elevator whose buttons had been malfunctioning. It didn't matter who was doing it. It didn't matter if it was a tourist. It didn't matter if it was maintenance. It didn't even matter if it was Zach and Cody from The Sweet Life. This hotel, this elevator in the hotel, just would not budge. The reason that it would not budge is because you, like, the way these uh, elevators worked is you had to take your hotel key and you had to badge it before you could access the buttons. Okay. So yesterday, my wife and I, we kept trying it, and we kept trying it, and we just could not access our floor because it just it would not read badges all that well. I was just thinking to myself, okay, you know what, fuck it. If this thing malfunctions, we're going to get stuck on this thing, and if we can't get in, how, how the hell are we going to get out when we finally do get in, you know? It could lock itself in. So anyway, I finally decided to get on one of the elevators that do work, and... I managed to get back up to my room, and I'm, I'm, carrying, I'm carrying our subs and our drinks and whatnot. And then I get to our room, I badge the door, and I open it up. And then I walk through this little corridor that's inside the room. If you've been following the podcast before, you can kind of get an idea about what was inside the room. And so I managed to go to, uh, I managed to get to our bed, and then I kind of put the food there so that we can separate it later and eat it. And the first thing that my wife says is, you are gone for a long time, dear. She was already awake. And then I was like, yeah, I would have told you about this, but she, she kind of completed my sentence, and she was like, you forgot your phone. I was like, I did. It was over there on the desk on the charger. And so anyway, after that, and after finding my phone, after checking it to realize that I still have no messages from anybody, I decided to turn on the TV, and that's when I became, that's, I think truly that's when I, when I started becoming a fan of the series Charmed. Like, I'd never really given any thought to watching it. Like, I'd never watched it, and I thought it was just a boring show, but I did, I did like the work that Shannon Doherty did in Scare Tactics back when Scare Tactics was, uh, was good. I prefer her over Tracy Morgan any day. 
And I just kind of just look at the entire situation that my wife and I are in at that exact moment. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the be- this is both the best and the weirdest breakfast in bed that we have ever experienced. I mean, one, our choice of breakfast was weird. Two, the whole trip to get it was weird. But whatever. Okay, we're actually approaching the 20-minute mark. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of a break. But when I come back, I'm going to be talking about our process of getting to the airport and just the stuff that I started hearing on the PA and just what an interesting strip that was. Thank you for listening so far. Please continue to listen as we go further into the episode. Thank you. Welcome back to The Ambience. I'm your host, Jay. And before we went to a break, we were talking about how I got us a weird breakfast in bed and just a weird experience that I had with just all that. And so now that we're back, we're going to go ahead and continue with the middle part of this episode, which is going to be the last little bit of time that we spent in Vegas before we went to the airport and got on the plane and headed for the ride home. So after we had breakfast, we decided to go ahead and uh, shower so that we can actually go ahead and get our day started. Because we figured that today, since it was the last day that we were going to have in Vegas, it would be an opportune time for us to grab some souvenirs. So we went to this place inside the Mandalay Bay Hotel that's after the casinos. It's on this strip of different stores. It's like, it's called, I think, the Las Vegas Gift Shop. We decided to pick up a couple of things from there. We got, uh, we got, we got, definitely we got some shirts and it's, it's one of the greatest hoodies that I've ever worn. And uh, I picked up that hoodie, I picked up a Las Vegas Police Department shirt because, I mean, I support the Thin Blue Line, and I just, I kind of made it a point to get something that reflects each state, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that we'll ever have have the money to visit all 50 states, but if we can, that's at least one souvenir that I would like to grab. I mean, some people, they like to go to all these different states and collect uh, license tags from all these different states. Kind of like a, uh, kind of like a scrapbook on display. Like there's a, like here in North Carolina, there's a, there's a restaurant that my wife and I like to go to sometimes called Al's Diner. And Al's Diner is like Johnny Rocket, except its food is not exorbitantly priced. But the decor it's a restaurant that's themed from the time period of the 1950s. And it was just, I think, honestly, the 50s, it was the beginning of a musical revolution, if you will. Rock and roll was getting big and just all that kind of stuff. I kind of like some of the some of the aspects of the style. Like, I love the fact that men were actually a lot more well-behaved. And, uh, like, it's just, it was a better time than today, I'd like to believe. I mean, I just know the phrase that everything was better back then, you know. You'll hear, like when I was a kid, I used to get so tired of senior citizens saying this, but I'm, uh, actually next year I'll be 29, and I can already tell that I'm becoming kind of the same way, because there's there's stuff that I grew up with that was a whole lot better, in my opinion, than what's coming out uh, as far as entertainment goes nowadays. But they had these license plates all along the walls, uh, Texas, Hawaii, Wyoming, just all these different places in the country. And uh, if I remember correctly, they had all 50 of them. And I just, I didn't really think much of it at the time, but not everybody gets the opportunity to do what we did. Not everybody gets the opportunity to travel by plane. Not everybody gets the opportunity to just travel and just visit different parts of the country. 
even more so different parts of the world. I mean, usually you have to either have a, a magical last name, some sort of celebrity status, or you've got, it's all about nepotism, it's who you know, pretty much. So anyway, we're at this store, and we pick up, uh, we pick up a couple of coffee mugs, and I pick up this one, I pick up this one coffee mug, it's black, but it's got all the Vegas lights on it, in print, and I'm not too, too sure about the material, but I try, uh, I had a, I had a cup of coffee in it, actually, just last week, and, uh, cause I don't like to have just one coffee mug, I'm, I'm weird like that, anyway, I decided to wash some dishes one day, and this cup, there was no exception, it was going to get washed too, so what I do is, I be sure to rinse out the stuff, I be sure to rinse out the dishes before I put them into the dishwasher, because at that point, if you don't, and it gets bad enough, essentially, you're throwing in food to get washed, I mean, what's the point? But the thing about this mug is, when the dishwasher got done doing its thing, hours, hours later... My wife was actually emptying the dishwasher, and she found my Vegas mug, and she was like, yeah, some of the stuff is coming off of this. It was like, it was kind of like one of those cheap shirts that you get where the print just falls off. I mean, I ain't saying this coffee mug was cheap by any means, because nothing in Vegas is cheap. I swear, nothing is cheap except for the air, and even then, the air felt like it was, you know, costly. But that whole bit about just realizing that not a lot of people, they get the opportunity to do what it is that my wife and I got the opportunity to do, and I didn't really, I didn't take it for granted, or at least I'd like to believe that I didn't, because it was, like, not only was it an opportunity to cross off some bucket list items, but it was also, it was an opportunity to learn both about the world around me and myself, and just, lately I've kind of been just on the mind about, uh, about forming my own philosophies with certain things, because we've been taught to do certain things, we've been taught to believe certain ways, but I think that's become a fully-fledged individual, you've got to do that stuff yourself. Like, don't take what somebody said about something as ironclad, like, as an ironclad belief system. Like, form your own beliefs about it. And I think that that's, that's one of the main, that's one of the only constant things going on in life. No matter how insignificant you may feel that your day is going, if you're having a good day, if you're having a shitty day, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter because... There's always something to learn in everything, and every day, even if you're not even trying to, even every day, you're learning something, either about yourself or about something that you're trying to accomplish. And I think, like, as an example of that, I can provide, when I was in the police academy, my biggest downfall was the fact that I hadn't really had to deal with, uh, I hadn't really had to deal with conflict. I've, I've never really, I've never really been involved in a fight. I've, uh... So when we would get into these situations where they would do role play, it would just be it would just be weird because like I along with the rest of the cadets, we had to be the cops that were, you know, responding to different calls and whatnot. And the instructors, a lot of them had military experience, so that's why it led to, you know, just those awkward times. Because like you ever feel like you're in a fish out of water? You ever like you want to do something but then you do it and you realize you have no idea how to do it. That's the, pretty much the constant feeling that I had throughout my time in the academy. Which, my time in the academy, it'll come for a later podcast episode. So anyway, we're still at this store, and we pick up these coffee mugs, and we pick up a couple of these shirts. Ashley and I, I think we get about uh, we get about three shirts each. Both of us get a hoodie, but hers is better because she ended up getting one that zipped. 
And there were any assortment of colors, and I know that my favorite color is blue, but for some reason, this day in particular, I was just feeling the color red with a hoodie. That also might have, uh, it might also have something to do with me playing Watch Dogs recently, because, I mean, I've beaten the first one, but just with Watch Dogs, your character is a lot more customizable, and you can change various aspects of their outfit, and so, one of my favorite things that he was wearing is, uh, just this red hoodie, and I found this red hoodie that I wanted to get, and it said, Las Vegas, that's pretty much all it says. It's like a red hoodie with black sleeves, and it's cool. I mean, it's got a great hood and everything. It's got the strings on it to kind of tighten the hood, whereas the one that I used to wear religiously, in fact, I'm actually wearing it right now, the, um, I guess the, the hood tie, if you want to call it that, it's gone. I don't know where it's at. We managed to do a lot of window shopping, too. Like, we would walk into these places. Not obviously, we wouldn't be there to buy stuff because, I mean, again, exorbitant prices. But we were in this place called the uh, called the Sock Market. Las Vegas Sock Market is the biggest store of socks that I've ever seen. Socks ranging from different kinds of topics. It had socks with uh, it had socks along the lines of you know 420. There were socks that had a bunch of weed uh, weed plants drawn on it. There were socks with Trump's face on it. There were even socks with uh, Harry Potter and stuff on them. But we didn't get anything out of that, and we decided shortly after getting all that stuff that we wanted to go get some real breakfast. And at about that time, we went back over to uh, one of the food courts that we ate at on one of the prior days, and we decided to eat at... I decided that I wanted to get something from Nathan's Famous, because not only do they have fucking great Philly cheesesteak and just... Just great, uh, just great hot dogs too. But I also was just interested in trying their breakfast because I'm in the mood for an omelet, and I see on their menu that they've got this Western omelet. And this omelet, it's made with shredded cheese, fucking beautiful eggs, sausage, uh, bacon, and uh, a lot of potatoes. And I got to looking at the price, and for just one meal itself, it was like it was like maybe close to fifteen bucks. And where I'm from, you can get the same thing for literally you know, a third of that price, and so, so I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting for the food, and it's not even just me, too, it was my, uh, my wife was there, too, and we're looking at the stuff that they're making, and they give us, uh, they give us some potatoes with it, and these potatoes, man, oh my god, they were, like, they weren't big, but there were so many of them, you know, it's kind of like what Mitch Hedberg said about rice, he said, rice is good when you really want to eat 2,000 of something, you can say the same thing about these potatoes because even though, like the Western omelet itself, it was huge itself, but I ordered it with some toast because for some weird reason, I prefer toast to biscuits. I don't know why. But we got back to our table and we're just looking at our plate. My wife got this gigantic plate of, uh, it had only three pancakes, but each of these pancakes, they were as big as like giant saucers. And uh, obviously she got some maple syrup with it and uh, she had some eggs. And even though the price was what it was, the thing about Nathan's Famous is I believe that you truly do get what you pay for because we paid for what we got, but then we ended up getting more. Not spending more, but we got more than what we paid for. You know what I'm saying? Like, neither of us could really... It was a struggle for us to even finish our plates. And naturally, I eat more than my wife does, and it came to a point where uh, she couldn't finish the last little bit of her pancakes because, I mean, just because... And she didn't really care for the potatoes too much, so she gave me her potatoes too. So I ended up eating so damn much for breakfast that day. 
But I'm cool with it because it was fucking great. So after we managed to eat all that, we somehow managed to get out of our seats and hobble our way back to the casino. And we're just, we're looking around and uh, my wife had seen me pick up this bottle of absolute vodka that I mentioned earlier a couple of times. We didn't end up getting it, but um, we uh, it did spark an interesting conversation between she and I because, uh, I mean, if you really know me, if you're really close to me, you know that... Um, you know that I know a thing or two about alcoholism. Not that I was the alcoholic, but the thing is, is that I know now what the term moderation means because, I mean, it had to be literally spelled out for me. And I just thought that moderation meant that you just took it chronically. I thought moderation and chronic use meant the same thing. Trust me, folks, that's not the same. And so we sparked a conversation of, uh, like, for the longest time, I was even against drinking alcohol because... I had seen what it had. I had seen what it can do to people, and I can see how uh, how evil it makes some people. And just the, just this idea that a lot of people use it as a crutch, and they use it to kind of dull the sense of emptiness that they feel. They use it to numb the pain in some of their lives. And for the longest time, I had this just this natural bias against it because, again, I had only seen uh, I had only seen negative aspects of it, and I had seen people when they were drunk. I mean, I've seen it, and the thing is, is I was so against it, and I got to thinking to myself, because the night before, I had some Sky Vodka with a daiquiri, and I tried a Corona, and the thing is, is, I just, it was just a whole different world that I hadn't even accessed yet, you know, I hadn't really, uh, I hadn't really explored the world of alcohol, because I never really was interested, and partly because, partly because I was really scared about it. I mean, I had heard the terms thrown around like lightweight and heavyweight and stuff. Like you got the you got your people that just can't really even scratch the surface of getting drunk. But then you got the first people, you got the other kind of people who don't even drink a wine cooler and they're already hammer smashed, you know. So even though that I was scared of drinking the alcohol, I did remember that I had eaten a big meal. And from what I understand, um, if you eat while you drink, you're a lot less likely to get drunk. In which I was scared of getting drunk anyway because I'd never really, uh, I'd never really had too big of an amount of alcohol. Like I've never, like I mean, I've never been drunk. I've never been high. I don't know how to get either. And uh, people usually laugh when I tell them this, but at the same time, I mean, I just I'm scared to. I don't like the idea of just not being in control of my body. I already have to deal with that when I'm asleep and having a nightmare and I can't run. And. Uh, so anyway, we were talking about it, and she she's not the kind of person that wants alcohol in the house, and with the exception of the honeymead, because the honeymead itself, it's almost non-alcoholic. There's such a small percentage in it, but she doesn't want alcohol, alcohol in the house. You know, vodka, Jack, Evan, Jim, you know, none of that crap she wants in the house, and more power to her, because I completely respect that, and as crazy as I am, I don't... You know, I don't need a mind-altering substance. But anyway, but anyway, what I learned about the whole alcohol scene was, if you're old enough and, like, you've got photo ID, you can pick up alcohol just about anywhere, I believe. And, I mean, there's no, I don't think there's any real limit. I mean, I'm sure there is. I can't remember the exact laws about, uh, about ABC and whatnot, but... I mean, you can literally just go into an alcohol store and say, I want this bottle, I want this Sprite, I want this drink here, and you can just, you can pay for it right then. And 
it just made me think that even though when I was younger, I thought this was a world that I would never scratch, I thought that it was it like the thought that I had just it became clear to me that it was really, really easy to participate in the idea of drink driving. Not that I would ever do it because I mean just because, but I can just understand how uh how some people would be into it because some alcoholic beverages they can be made to taste really good. But I think it's just uh I think it's this whole idea of drinking responsibly, you know? Like uh like you can get plaster on some days, I guess, which I'll never I'll never find out what that's like because I just for one, I don't have the desire to, and two, I'm just, I'm scared as hell of it. But I'm thinking that this trip, it led to, uh, as I said, it led to a couple of bucket list items being crossed off, because as, as you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm boning up even more in my Russian studies, but also, I was just curious as to try, uh, just try vodka in general. And I did, and I got to cross that off, and I think that one of my biggest downfalls when I was in the police academy is the fact that even though I was... Even though I was 27 at the time, I had yet to really experience life. Because a lot of the cops that are out there nowadays, they've got experience, you know. They've experienced what it is to be drunk. They've experienced what it is to be high. They've been in fights. They've done all the stuff that's illegal, but were smart enough to not get caught. And so they have the experience, and therefore, they're better equipped at handling it than, say, someone like me, who has... Who's like drunk virgin, high virgin, drug virgin, all that. And I think it was one of those opportunities where I got to learn a little bit more about humanity. And uh, later on when I go back to the academy, I'll kind of know a little bit more. In which honestly, the two year period that I'm in right now, which I'll talk about that in a later video. Or uh, not a video, a podcast, sorry. But um, I think that this two year period is just going to be a learning experience about people and about myself also, you know? So anyway, not a whole, whole lot happened other than that. So after breakfast, we managed to hobble our way up to the hotel room and we pack our stuff and we get it ready and then we go downstairs where we uh, where we walk to find the lift drivers and the taxi cab drivers. Well, we're waiting for a lift driver. I don't know this guy's name and I don't think that my wife even remembers this guy's name either, but he knows that we're on our way to the airport and he, he gladly, he takes our bag, puts it in the back of uh, his SUV and then we both get in the back of the SUV. And then we, um, and then, you know, just as we're in this cab on the way to the airport, you know, it's just the same old stuff, you know, it's like, hey, I'm so-and-so, how are you, how's your trip, what are you here for, how long are you here, have you had fun, you know, just general, general conversation. But there is just so much that I learned on this trip, and so much stuff that I thought I learned, I learned from both video games and movies, and I'm actually getting into that, and, um... What I'm what I'm going to talk about is uh, some stuff that happened on the trip that we went through that it just it made me think back to uh, what we went through in video games, and uh, particularly this didn't really take place until we got to the uh, the Las Vegas airport. But as my wife and as my wife and I were uh, we were on the way there, we were actually talking about uh, something that I'd wanted to do uh, years ago when I first really seriously started considering learning Russian and just picking up Russian. She had actually bought me online. She had bought me the New Penguin Russian course. It's a book uh, that is recommended by a lot of people who are students uh, in learning Russian. And it just, I had this desire to visit Russia one day, and I never really thought that it could con- uh, that it could become a reality. So when I was on the plane, I was actually thinking about it, and 
even though the flight from Charlotte, North Carolina to Las Vegas International is about a five-hour flight, I'm just thinking, this is just cross-country. Imagine cross-earth, you know, across the world. And from what I was reading, it could take anywhere between 12 to 16 hours, depending on where you fly from, who's flying the plane, uh, what airline you use, you know, just general stuff like that. But we were uh, we were talking about it, and we were trying to figure out uh, we were trying to figure out how much exactly it was going to be uh, to even plan a trip to Russia. And I think that for one person, it's uh, it's like at a minimum of like uh, I want to say it's either nine hundred or eighteen hundred dollars, and that's just going. I ain't talking about coming back, and I'm also not talking about factoring in the cost for staying in Moscow or St. Petersburg or something. And I've also uh, I've also taken some advice also from other uh, other people that I work with because uh, after I came back from Vegas, you know, I told some stories about I told some stories about the things that had happened and just the th- other places in the world that I would like to travel to and just see. And uh, like I was talking to the security guard that I work with, and he said, you know, if you're going to go to Russia, be sure that you have American currency because as you get off the plane, there are going to be people that are going to be waiting for you. And you can pay them to protect you. If you've got the money in Russia, you can get whatever you want. Drugs. You can have somebody killed. You can uh, you can even buy prostitutes, which, honestly, I, feel, I think you can buy prostitutes anywhere. But this guard was just telling me about all this stuff because he's got a friend who actually, uh, he had this big inheritance. I don't want to say that he's in the realty business, but he buys houses and he fixes them up. And he's been doing that for years and years and years and he's making fuck ton of money and and uh he said that every year his friend he goes to russia and he didn't say whether or not he pays these guys to protect him but uh in russia from what i'm gathering it literally is it's a completely different world than american life and it's even though it sounds really dangerous i mean there are some aspirations about russia that i would love to do like there are all these different tourist attractions, like there's St. Basil's Cathedral, there's the Red Square, there's a, I can't remember if Kremlin is really a part of it or not, but I would just, like, one of my aspirations that, um, one of my aspirations that I thought about was, it would be really interesting to meet Vladimir Putin, and even though I'm just, I'm just an American trying to learn Russian, and eventually I'm, I'm, I'm gonna want to go there someday, even though I'll be in the same country as him, Russia is the biggest country in the world, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, that I'll be close enough to even talk to him. But it'd be interesting nonetheless. So as Ashley and I are talking about this, we uh, we discern that it's going to be at least, I think it's going to be at least a good 10 years before we can even attempt to even schedule going to Russia because it's going to cost a lot more money. And I don't want to go to Russia until I'm at least a lot more fluent. You know, I can hold basic conversation, but that's about it. And I've really only been seriously studying Russian for maybe a total of about three and a half years. And I've been speaking English my whole life. Obviously, I was American-born, Southern American-born specifically. So not only do I speak English, but I speak bad English. And even then, with uh, with how far my Russian studies have gone, it's already affecting the way that I speak English. Like, I speak with less participles now. Like, instead of saying, I have this car, I'll just say, I have car here and you know it's just it sounds weird to somebody who's really only learned english throughout their entire uh language speaking life but it's just interesting because some aspects of the russian language they're a lot better than uh than the english language like the whole no participles thing it's even better because i feel like 
in Russian, there's a lot less unnecessary words than there are in English. In English, you can come up with ten ways to say one thing, which in uh, in Russia, or in Russian, there's a vast uh, difference. You know, like Russian is a language that has longer words, and so I think from what I from what I've been uh, coming to understand about the language itself, it was designed as a language to be slower spoken you know i mean when you listen to russian it's going to sound like it's going miles and miles and miles a minute but the same thing can be said to uh japanese which is actually the world's most fastest spoken language that and uh spanish which comes in uh, second place but i think uh not even just with russia spanish or japanese just with uh with any foreign language in general because when you see somebody speaking it as a native language they're going to sound like one it's going to sound completely natural to them and it's going to sound completely unnatural to you. So anyway, uh, the trip to Russia—it's going to be—it's uh, going to be on the back burner for at least a good decade, maybe two. Who knows? And as my wife and I are actually talking about this at this point, we've already gotten to the airport. We've uh, we've retagged our bag. We've uh, we've re uh, we've reprinted some boarding passes, and we've given our bags to the people uh, behind the counter. And uh, we're on our way to the trams to travel to a different part of the uh, to a different part of the airport. Now, I'd never been on a tram before, but I have played Dead Space quite a bit. And in Dead Space, after you the, specifically the first one, there's twelve chapters. After you pass uh, after you pass a level or a mission, you get on this tram that you put together so that you can travel to different parts of the space station. And that was an experience because you step on this thing, it's like it's like. It's like a subway, you know? And it was just crazy because I remember holding on because I almost fell over like three times during the same, like, 45-second trip. And I remember just thinking to myself, wow, this is this is exactly how Isaac Clark feels. This is kind of nice. I'm digging this. And, I mean, it was just, it was, I mean, it wasn't anything really significant. But at the same time, I was a rather sheltered kid, and so... It probably looks weird to a lot of people that I get uh, I get really excited about most stuff that a lot of people find blase now. Like uh, like I was the most excited person in the entire airport when we got there uh, during our first uh, during the first day, where I saw those planes coming down and I'd never been that close to a plane. I never even truly thought about being on a plane and I just thought, holy crap. Holy crap, here we go, here we go. I'm almost about to be an adult. And it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just little experiences like that that a lot of people find blase because there are a lot of people who fly every, excuse me, they fly every day. And I don't understand, one, I don't understand how they have the money. And two, in, uh, in retrospect, I don't understand how they have the patience because those seats, they can get really uncomfortable. And even though uh, you can lean them back, they don't lean back very far at all. That being said, that being said, I believe we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about an, an interesting experience that I had at the airport as we're waiting to board the plane. And so, thank you for listening so far. Stay tuned, and we will be back shortly. Welcome back to this episode of The Ambience. This is the third installment in my little mini-series of my time in Vegas. And if you've been listening so far, 
uh, right before we went to the last break, we were talking about how uh, we were spending our last few hours at the Mandalay Bay Hotel, and then we were leaving, and the stuff that we talked about on the way to the airport. And now we're going to continue where we left off. So we had just gotten to the airport, and we had just now uh, our bag had already been uh, our bag had already been shipped off and gone through to uh, the baggage people and whatnot, and we had already printed out our boarding passes. And right away. My wife and I, we have to use the restroom, so we use the different restrooms respectively, and then we just, uh, we take the tickets, and we decide to go by the gate and wait. Alright, well, when we finally do manage to get to our gate after going through escalator after escalator after escalator, and borderline assassins creeding our way through these crowds of people, we manage to find our gate, and the gate, it's on the far side of the airport, and there's not a whole lot of people there. And uh, I'm just I'm just looking at it, and I'm just trying to make time pass. And so what I do is when I'm uh, when I have a free moment, uh, I'll do uh, I'll do Duolingo practicing uh, and studying, but I won't do it on a serious level. Like I'll maybe like I have it set on the on the easy mode, which pretty much means you have to get at least um, you have to le- you have to get at least 15 experience worth of points. Uh, for for uh, for your daily amount of language studying with Duolingo, and there's many different settings on Duolingo. You got the easy, you got casual, you got regular, then you got hard, which is like like 60 or 80. I can't remember the exact number, but I'm off and on, so I'll uh, I'll do it when I want to, but then I'll do it just in a moment to just pass time, you know. And so we're sitting there, we're sitting there in the uh, in the gating area, waiting for uh, for our plane to start boarding. And we're there maybe about a good twenty to thirty minutes early, and there's nobody there. But over that course of twenty to thirty minutes, we see people uh, here and there just coming to and flock into this gate. And apparently, it wasn't just us trying to get back to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. It's actually a good five minutes after we start seeing people flock to this gating area where we're waiting to board our plane where we hear this PA message come over the PA system. And it's of a female uh, flight attendant or whatever. And uh, it said something like, this flight such and such, I can't remember the number of our flight, but uh, it was a flight to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. This flight to Charlotte, North Carolina, currently we are experiencing some problems with overbooking. And so, if anybody would like to give up their pass, it would greatly be appreciated. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, we better kick, we better freaking kick some people and knock over some people if we want to get on top of this plane. Because there is no way that we are going to be stranded in Vegas. Honestly, that was my biggest fear of the whole thing. Yeah, the biggest fear of the entire trip. I wasn't scared of the plane going down because, you know, I've, uh, I mean, I believe what I believe religiously and so does my wife. So we were uh, we were somewhat ready in case the plane went down, but that's a morbid way of thinking. And even though we were ready, we uh, we decided not to really venture into that part of our minds while we were thousands and thousands of eons up in the sky. And so naturally, I'm kind of just uh, I'm not Catholic, but you ever get into situations where you find yourself doing things out of uh, religion that you don't really do on a daily basis like there were uh like there was a phrase that that i heard with uh it was when i was watching a war movie i can't remember which one it was but uh, it was a soldier and he was and he was a seasoned veteran and uh it wasn't his first tour and uh he was just talking to this uh this other soldier who was green it was his first tour 
and they were uh, they were riding to uh, they were riding to this zone or whatever, and uh, they were just talking about you know just uh, they were talking about like different kinds of religions and whatnot. They were discussing the different experiences that they had, and uh, the seasoned vet had been like, "So you're a religious man," and uh, the uh, the green soldier he went, "I can't really consider. I mean, if I don't see it, I don't believe in it." And then uh, their conversation it kept going, and then it shifted to uh, I think the punchline. Not I don't want to say punchline, but I'll say a uh, bottom line of what the seasoned vet had to say was: Well, when you're out there on the battlefield, suddenly you're going to realize how religious you can become. And uh, I think a plane ride is no different because a lot of people they're scared of flying, they're scared of planes, and I think a lot of that has to do with. Uh, uh, two things really. One is just this natural fear of heights that some people have, and two, it's uh, the national tragedies that have happened. You know, September 11, the Pentagon, just all that. It's made people not want to fly at all, and I can't blame them honestly. I mean, it's a rational fear. So anyway, we're sitting there, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm brooding, and I'm, you know, I'm saying a hell mary or five or twenty, and uh, I'm doing it silently just because. And so we can see on their little monitor behind the desk that uh, boarding time is uh, its actually here in about 10 minutes. So my wife and I, we get up out of our seats and uh, we get in line. And uh, I've never really given much thought to people watching or people listening because when you're in a crowd of people, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what kind of stuff's going to be talked about. You just don't know. You hear all these different stories from all these different people. Like there was one guy who um, who later ended up sitting beside of us uh, in the plane on the way back, and he um, he was just talking about how uh, his travel agent he was just a big douchebag and he was a dick. And uh, I mean, I guess I mean I've never had to deal with an agent. I've never had one. But if it's anything like uh, like what a supervisor is, I can kind of understand why they're dicks. So anyway, the. Anyway, the boarding time finally comes, and uh, they're calling our groups. Once again, we got lucky, and we're in group four. I say that sarcastically, of course. And uh, uh, they call up group one, and people start walking really slowly. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like herding people into a plane. In fact, I say that because I mean it is. People are herding into a plane, but um, they call group two. Maybe two people come. They call group three. Maybe six show up. And then they call group four, which apparently the majority of us were in because the next thing I know, we're moving inch by inch at 0.5 miles an hour bottlenecking into the plane. And uh, I remember going up to the scanner because you have to scan your plane ticket or you can scan the screenshot of the code that's on your plane ticket. And I chose to do the screenshot. So anyway, I look on our plane tickets, and then it dawns on me that the seat that we're going to be sitting in, it's actually two seats above the row that we were in. And uh, my wife and I, once again, she got lucky with the window seat, and I mean, I didn't have a problem with it, because it was just, I mean, it was only my real second time on a plane, and I was just there really for the experience. I didn't care really for, uh, you know, for just looking out and whatnot, but I had the, uh, I had the middle seat. But what I did like about our row number is the fact that we were closer to the wing and we could just observe a little more about how planes operate. Like, one thing that I love doing, especially walking off and or on the plane, is looking right into the cockpit. Now, I love it because 
there are all these different controls, and I am like a sponge when it comes to learning. You know, I just I try to learn as much as I can. And so being in this seat closer to this airplane wing, we can actually see it out the window. And uh, I just, I observe, like, I just, I love looking at it because I like seeing the rudders move because my only real experience uh, prior to actually being on a plane or anywhere near a plane is Grand Theft Auto. And I joke and say that Grand Theft Auto taught me how to fly a helicopter and it, it taught me the basics, but I'm just, I'm learning, you know, little by little. And who knows, someday maybe I want to, you know, pick up flying. Like, I used to work with a guy, uh, I can't remember his name, but he actually, he went through pilot school and he's got his pilot license. I don't know which airline he works for. I don't know if he flies, uh, I don't know if he flies for commercial planes or if he works on private jets. I don't know what he does. But, um, I just think that it's really cool that somebody that young could go through what they went through and they've achieved what they have achieved, you know? Not many people become pilots, and I think it's safe to say that the phrase, this position isn't for everybody, it kind of applies to that, but it also applies to every position. Everybody is good at something, but no one is good at everything, you know what I'm saying? And so we're sitting in our plane, and uh, there's no one to my right. You know, we're in these rows of three seats, Ashley's got the window, I've got the middle, and the first thing that I do is I take the little air conditioning thing that didn't pump out that much air to begin with, and what I do is I um, I turn it toward me. I turn it toward me, and then I open it to where it shoots out just the tiniest bit of air that it can, and I say that because I turned it to its maximum setting. Anyway, I, um, I was looking at uh, the seat to the right, and I'm thinking, could this seat actually be empty this time? But then it dawns on me that the PA message that we had when we were still inside the airport waiting to board was that they had actually overbooked the flight. And I'm just, I'm ecstatic at this point because we managed to get on the plane. We're not going to be stranded in Vegas. We're actually going to be home on time. And oddly enough, uh, I know that on vacation, you go to vacation to pretty much escape uh, various aspects in your life that have become monotonous, like working a job that you don't want to work. And... Uh, like, I dealt with the bullshit of, uh, like, when I was at McDonald's, I trained somebody uh, on third shift, and I trained her how to do her job well. You know, I'm one of the few people that actually takes the time to do it and make sure that you know what the hell you're doing. Because I don't like, um, like, I compare it to the military. You know, would you take somebody and just, you know, just bullshit them into just getting a weapon and then going in there, or would you actually take the time to train them? Because if you train somebody... That person can end up helping you when you need help. And I like to just have this mentality of be the trainer that you yourself wish you had. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm just, I'm sitting there on the plane. I'm looking at the empty seat and I'm thinking, oh man, oh man. Are we actually, are we going to, are we going to have this seat empty? Are we going to actually have room to move? But the thing is, is that I remembered that the PA message said that the plane was overbooked. So I'm just thinking, oh fuck. But this guy that was actually sitting next to us on uh, on this flight on the way back, he was actually cool. I mean, I never really spoke to him other than the, excuse me, I have to get up and use the restroom, you know, just general stuff like that. And uh, so the thing is, is I was watching him. I wasn't eavesdropping. Okay, I kind of was. I mean, I couldn't help it. The, the guy was next to me and I could see his phone. 
but apparently he had been uh, he had been messaging somebody that I would assume is his significant other, be it wife, girlfriend. I don't I don't know. But anyway, he was talking about how uh, how cramped he was on the flight, and I mean it wasn't anything against us. It was just we were feeling the same way, and he was just talking to his wife. And I noticed that he's not looking around, and I kind of figured that uh, while reading his messages, he went on to type such things as, yeah, it sucks that we got separated on the plane, but as soon as we uh, reach altitude, I'm going to come see it. And, uh, I mean, I hate it for him because I would hate to be in his shoes because my wife and I, we got lucky and we managed to get, you know, the seats that we did where we were luckily beside of each other. And we actually, uh, this flight itself, it was so much faster because the thing, like, the vast difference between... uh, like, I don't know that much about piloting. Like, I seriously don't know that much about serious piloting, like, serious plane work. But I do know that the ride going back, it was a lot smoother and a lot quicker than the ride going to. I mean, obviously, there was less of, uh, obviously, there was less of a weather issue. There wasn't any, uh, there wasn't any issues with landing. We actually, we actually made it, I think, uh, according to the pilot, we actually made it back into Charlotte at the airport. About uh, about ten minutes early, so no matter what, we were ahead of schedule. The skies were clear. You know, we were just doing our thing. But the time difference—I mean, obviously, there's a time difference. As I said, it's about four hours. And so, when we got back, uh, when we landed, it was about maybe six thirty. And here lately, thanks to the time change that happened, uh, it was already dark. But uh, what the fun part was, like I had fun, and a lot of people were probably terrified. When we landed in Charlotte, what had happened was, uh, like we were docked, and uh, we were at the terminal doors, and we were ready to get off the plane, but the doors had not opened, and we had, uh, all of a sudden, all the lights in the plane go completely off. And the lights stay off for maybe a good 15 minutes. And at this point, we're, uh, we're docked, uh, we're landed. And the pilot, uh, he comes over a couple of times on the intercom, and he says, uh, he says something like, "Folks, we're sorry, but obviously we have lost a little bit of power. If you want to go ahead and you want to stand up and just stretch and just be mindful of the people around you and just uh, move around however you can, as carefully as you can, and then we're going to work on getting you guys off the plane." And so I was like, "This is cool. We're uh, the power's off. It's completely dark, and right away." I see at least a good third of all the people on the plane whipping out their phones and turning on their uh, turning on their lights so that they can navigate the corridors. I mean, it's cool. But um, shortly after, maybe half of them have gotten up out of their seats and have gotten themselves situated. All of a sudden, we see a flicker of light, and the seatbelt lights come back on. And shortly after that, the interior lights in the plane come on. And uh, there's actually there's actually an applause coming from all the people, similar to the applause that um, similar to the applause that erupted when we first landed in Vegas after that uh, five hour turn eight hour ordeal. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> so we managed to get off the plane. We uh, I still actually have my plane tickets in uh, in my wallet just because eventually we're going to add them to the scrapbook. And so what we're doing is uh, we go to baggage claim, and we have such an easier time grabbing our bag this time. And so I do it, and I instead of doing what I did when we got to Vegas and just carrying it the whole time on my back, I decided to give myself a break and actually use the fucking thing for what it was for. And I pull up the handle, and I lock it in place, and I just I carry it, and I pull it behind us. I mean, our bag has wheels. I don't know why I didn't take advantage of that in Vegas.
and during the entire time that we were actually walking to baggage claim, I was just thinking about the whole trip and just, uh, I was trying my damnedest not to think about work because that's honestly, in the back of my head, it, it actually sickens me to think about it. But when you're on vacation, you're on vacation to get away from work. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a way to just celebrate. You know, it's kind of like, a, it's like I almost want to go ahead and call it a trip to heaven while you're living in hell. You know what I'm saying? And so I was, and so I was just, uh, I was just thinking about the, uh, just the entire trip and the experiences that we had and just the fun times we had and just, uh, making little notes mentally, you know, and, uh, I'm taking notes in my little notebook that I have right now currently that I'm going by to tell you guys about the trip that I've been telling you about for the past two episodes, (laughs) but we don't really, uh, we don't really stop for any kind of food or anything. Uh, instead, we, uh, we're just so focused on getting through baggage claim, getting our bag, getting onto the tram ride, and taking us to uh, our parking spot. And we just, we, uh, it's a little bit of a struggle to find our car. I mean, just because it's cars for miles, it seems. This beautiful blue parking deck. So we finally do find it. And we put our bag in there. And uh, I, um, I clear off my seat because chances are I'd put some stuff in the front seat shotgun before, uh, before we left and we're driving around. I had thought about choosing to drive home just because even though it was a, it was an hour's drive away, we were in Charlotte. I didn't know the area all that much, but I had just been thinking that I would drive because Ashley had already driven there and she's driven there a lot more times than I have. And if there's anything that I've learned about life with cars is that the longer you drive, the more tired you feel afterwards. It doesn't matter how much rain, how much monster you drink. It just it drains you of complete energy. But she goes ahead of me, and uh, she gets in the driver's seat, and after about five minutes of getting lost in this gigantic uh, parking deck, we manage to find our way back out. And uh, we get out, and the GPS, it takes us through this stupid detour that it always takes us through before we manage to find our main road, which is a straight shot back into... Uh, you know, just back through Hickory, back through Granite, and eventually through Hudson and, and until we get to Lenore. And even though it is as dark as it is, my uh, due to my sleep cycle, I was due to be in bed maybe an hour ago at this point. And uh, we're an hour away from home in which uh, I really don't even mind it because I think that... Um, like the mentality that I'm starting to get now is even though you have to wake up early for your job, I mean it's a common courtesy, but also you just want to be on time for your job. Don't let that determine how you spend your days off work. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll wake up early on days that I work, obviously. I work four days a week. I'll wake up at about four fifteen, four thirty. But on my days off, generally I'll uh, I'll sleep in, you know, just because even though it is extra sleep it's extra sleep that you can enjoy, and when you wake up, chances are you'll either wake up with a headache or you'll wake up feeling completely rested, or both. I've actually done all three. So anyway, on the way back home, I um, I call my mom and I just I tell her about the trip. And uh, throughout the entire trip, we were actually uh, taking some photos. And Ashley doesn't have Instagram, but I do. And uh, I was just I had uploaded some photos, and she had uploaded photos to her Facebook account, and. Uh, Mom said that she really enjoyed the photos, and uh, my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law, they both enjoyed them, too. And uh, we were just we were just talking on the way home about, uh, about other vacations that uh, she was interested in. Even though her job pretty much uh, made her go to Charlotte to, uh, to fly to Vegas, 
I mean, it was fine because it was an experience for us. But uh, the only real bad experience in the entire trip, it came from the actual reason why we were there. And if you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that in the second episode of this little mini-series about my time in Vegas, we uh, we talked about it. And so I'm not really going to go back and address it on this final episode of the mini-series, but um, we had actually decided that the next vacation that we want to take is a cruise. And I don't know much about cruises, but uh, I do know that I feel safer traveling through the air than I do on land for some reason. I just, I feel better about it. I don't know why. So when we do decide to book a cruise, I don't know where it is that we're going to go, but it's going to make for a lot more experiences, that's for sure. And it's going to make for a lot more good stories to tell people. It's going to have a lot more opportunities for some photos and some videos. The only boat ride, the only real ride that I can remember is when I was a kid. We were going to the Outer Banks, uh, North Carolina, and uh, the only thing that I really remember from it is the fact that everybody had to drive their cars onto these ferries. And that's the first real memory of any kind of uh, boating that I have. And like I said, it's not much. I mean, I was a kid, so I don't remember hardly jack shit. So anyway, we decide that even though it is late and we got to wake up for uh, for work. Ashley's actually got the, uh, the rest of the week off at this point, but I have to work... Um, but I just I have to work uh, the next day because um, we had we had managed to get back Friday and I uh, I had to work Saturday and Sunday which is fucking great because it means that I had to it means that I got to avoid all the people that I didn't want to be around at work and it was just uh, me and the weekend crew and it was fucking it was amazing I just I loved it you know that feeling that you get I mean it's similar to uh, to when you go to bed knowing that you don't have to work tomorrow, that's almost better than the day off itself. But I find that on the weekends where I work, that's actually just as good as the days off themselves. And it's just it's something that I look forward to because, uh, I mean, I love my weekend crew. I'd rather not deal with the weekday crew just because on the weekdays there's actually a whole, whole lot more people which means that there's a whole lot more going on, which also means that there's a whole laundry list of problems more that could go wrong. More personalities involved. Uh, it leaves room for more uh, problems to arise. More fights, arguments, whatnot. More bullshit. But anyway, uh, we, had a really, uh, we had a really great time in Vegas, and I'd love to go there again. The only real thing that I regret... And my wife will tell you the same thing. The only real thing that we regret is we went there without a plan. We didn't really plan what we were going to do until we got there. But at the same time, in our defense, we have just been busy with so much different stuff. Like uh, like we've been busy Christmas shopping. We've been busy just doing a whole bunch of stuff. And we didn't really have time to plan because our work schedules, they became really hectic and crazy. Well, I mean, mine's set in stone, but uh, but hers... The system screwed up the scheduling somehow because apparently when people ask off or when people take days off or they go on vacation, apparently that screws up everything else and a new lineup has to get created. And usually at about that time, Chronos uh, 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 scheduling systems, they'll screw up themselves. It's like they know what's going on and they just want to add fuel to the fire, you know? But anyway, I had a great time in Vegas and uh, even though it really it really feels like we didn't do a whole lot but we had just an amazing time i loved it i wouldn't i wouldn't trade it for another memory 
I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to actually do it again. But as I said, we're planning uh, for our next vacation, which is a cruise. We don't know what kind of cruise, but it's a cruise nonetheless. And uh, it's going to be an interesting experience for both of us. Um, I just I love it even more so for Ashley because, like, the one thing that makes me happy, well, happier, is seeing her happy. And I just I love that she can get away from work and she can get away from bullshit to just enjoy her life, you know, because life was meant to be not only lived and survived as long as you can, but it's made to be enjoyed because she said it to me like this. She said, if you don't enjoy your life and you just look to survival every time, what is the real point of living? You know, you're not alive unless you are really living. I mean, when she said that, it was the most profound thing ever. And so I'm thinking that uh, I kind of want to talk about that in the final thought. I mean, I haven't had any final thoughts for the past two episodes because this is a uh, this is a mini series that I was going with. And uh, with that being said, I'm thinking that we're going to go ahead and we're going to take just a tiny, tiny breather. And when I come back, we're going to have the final thought, and that'll be the end of this little mini series. Thank you for listening so far, and stay tuned for the final thought. folks, welcome back to this last installment of My Time in Vegas here on The Ambience. This is episode 3, and if you've been listening so far, you've been listening to the funny and interesting and odd experiences that I've had in Vegas, and I just want to go ahead and conclude this episode with today's final thought. A long time ago, I was actually uh, I was actually in therapy, and I was in high school, and this was shortly after my grandmother died. It was the first real family death that really affected me. It was the second family death. But it was the first one that I really cared about because uh, it was my grandmother and I was close with her. And as a result, it had started this little existential crisis in my head. And it just it made me question everything. And it made me question what's the real use of even living when death is the only real, you know, sure thing to happen. And I was actually... Uh, my dad and my shrink, they had told me the same thing, you know, I was, uh, I was just worried because I was just worried about, you know, just ending up happy in life, and then, uh, there were, I mean, my dad, he was, uh, he was in a mood when he said this, and I guess, I don't know why my shrink said this, I guess that when, uh, I guess that when you're a shrink, you have to have no bias or anything whatsoever, like, if you happen to have, like, if your shrink is one religion, and you just so happen as a patient of his to follow that same religion, even though you see eye to eye on certain things and you agree with him in his belief system, you can't talk about religion. You have to talk about it as if, uh, as if religion never existed, as if it's only just part of the human experience. I mean, for some people that works, but for a lot of people it sucks because, I mean, it's for an unbiased opinion and expertise, but at the same time, I feel like there is bias. I mean, no one really ever does anything without bias, you know, because why, like, why would you try to do something that you don't even want to do, you know, it's just the aspect of that, but, um, I was just talking to them both, I spoke to my dad, and I spoke to my shrink about this, and, uh, just about the whole idea of being happy, and they said, well, you know, life ain't about being happy, it's about 
It's about living. And I just, I took that as advice that I didn't adhere to for so long because, I mean, what I mean by that is I took it and I'd stored it in my head. So it was always there to remind me whenever something in my life didn't go, you know, according to plan. But at the same time, I didn't full on agree with it like a Bible verse, you know? And, um, years ago I was actually, uh, actually, no, it wasn't even years ago. It was a couple of months ago. Uh, I was talking with, uh, I was talking with my wife and I've been going through a depression as, as I do naturally. And, uh, we were just talking about living life and I talked about what my shrink and what my dad had told me. And, uh, we were just having, we were just having a tough day. And I just made the point that, uh, the mentality that they tried teaching me of life ain't about being happy. It's just about being alive as long as you can be. And it's about survival. And Ashley, her response flat out was just like, well, do you not care if you're happy? I was like, are we supposed to be happy? And then she was like, dude, if your life is not a good life, and if you're not happy living it, then what's the fucking point? What is the point to all this? What is the point to doing all this stuff if none of it makes you happy? And uh, I think a lot of people, they try to have... Uh, a lot of people, they have that same mentality. As I, I now have that mentality, thankful to her. I'm thankful for her for actually showing me that and lifting the veil from my eyes, if you will, and opening just my eyes to that... Uh, that mentality of it, and it's something that I will forever preach to people as long as, as long as I am, uh, as long as I'm breathing air, and the point that I wanted to drive home with today's final thought is, are you happy, are you happy with what you're doing, if not, fuck it, do something else, make yourself happy, don't listen to people who say, life is not about happiness, it's about keeping yourself alive, it's about providing for your family. And sure, that's important, but at the same time, your your own happiness and your own well-being is important too. Because you can't control anybody. You can only help people. You can ultimately control yourself. And uh, some people believe that happiness, it comes in spurts. And I think that not only is that true, but also it's... Um, it's overall, you know, it's just overall, have you had more happy experiences than sad experiences? Have you had more good times than bad times? Have you laughed more times than you've cried? You know, Dennis Leary, uh, he was talking about the whole aspect of uh, a lot of people complaining that they're just not happy. And he, uh, he like his philosophy on it is happiness comes in spurts. It comes in small doses. It's that good chocolate chip cookie that you've had it's that cigarette that you smoked. It's that it's that five second orgasm that you had, and that's it. And he believes that that's it. Well, who's to say that? Who's to say that happiness has to just be in small doses? Who's to say that you can't be happy overall with what it is that you're doing? Are we all just supposed to be these creatures who are only supposed to experience happiness and otherwise just meander aimlessly our ways through this earth and our lives? I don't think so. I think I think that happiness is something that while we can pursue it, we can obtain it. And ultimately, uh, my manager, who, uh, who I drink the meat for every year, he said that 
his mom put it to him like this. He said, son, I want you to be happy with whatever you're doing. I don't care what it is. If you want to work fast food, you can do it just as long as it makes you happy. You can do that. You can, you can write a book. You can even shovel shit for a living. If it makes you happy, then fucking do it. I want you to be happy with whatever it is that you choose to do. And that woman's not even my mother, but damn it, I'm just going to say this, more power to her. And I want to address, and again, this is the final thought, and I want to address that as the main focus of this final thought today. Whatever it is that you find that you enjoy, that whatever it is that brings you joy, whatever it is that brings you peace, comfort, and happiness, continue to do it. Don't worry about overdosing on it because, again, if you've listened to my podcast before, uh, when I've talked about depression, you know that I, uh, you know that I preach. Whenever something stops making you happy, move to something else. You know, escape the monotony. It doesn't have to end right there. You can keep going. Because in life, uh, here in our lives on earth, that's all we have are our experiences. In our experiences, we tell stories and we uh, ultimately we help each other. Whether we see it or not, it's the ripple effect. You know, butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the world. In Central Park, you get rain instead of sunshine. Chaos theory. But today's final thought, are you happy? Are you doing anything to help make yourself and or your loved ones happy? If not, I want to strongly encourage that you do. Excuse me. As long as you are, I want to encourage that you continue to do stuff that makes you happy. And I want to help. I want to just help by encouraging you to also help and encourage others. Share the same message. You know, if you're looking for happiness, chase happiness. If you find something, it doesn't matter what anybody says about it. You know, if someone thinks that your choice in music is dumb, fuck them. Listen to your music anyway. You wouldn't say anything to them about listening to their shitty music. Who cares? You enjoy it. Fucking enjoy it. I would rather spend 60 seconds enjoying one of my favorite fucking songs than I would rather than I would spend one minute worrying about what somebody else thinks about it, you know? For every one for every 60 seconds that you're happy, that's 1 minute that you didn't feel sad. Isn't that isn't that fucking wonderful? That's like it's really profound. But that is today's final thought. Are you happy? And if you are, continue and help others to be happy. This concludes the third installment in my little mini series of my time in Vegas. This has been another episode of The Ambience. Once again, I'm your host, Jay. I want to thank you for listening, and I want to encourage you to continue to listen as as a, hopefully a subscriber of some sorts to The Ambience. What are we going to talk about next week? Who knows?